All right. Well, let's learn about our great God this morning. Shall we pray? Our great God and Father, we praise your holy name. We worship you in your goodness, in your majesty, in your sovereignty. We are grateful for this time to be here today. We are grateful for your word. Thank you for each woman here, and I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say today. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in Matthew, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 22, and 23 today. A lot going on in these verses. Uh, there's a lot happening in these chapters, but we can also see a theme running through, couldn't we? We could see a very strong theme running through. Um, Jesus was not super thrilled with what was going on um, that, that he was coming to. And so we're going to look today at um, the king. The king has come. And, and yet at that same time, how people have either received him or not. And the hearts that are involved in that, and the places of the heart. And we are going to uh, start in chapter 21, verse 1. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent his disciples to go into the village and to find a donkey tied there with her colt and bring them to me. Verse 4, this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. We've had a lot of those verses in Matthew so far, and Matthew, haven't we? That this might be fulfilled, Christ fulfilling prophecy after prophecy to bring forth, to say, he is the Messiah. He is the one that everyone has been waiting for, that the Jews have been waiting for. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here he comes. Here he comes. Christ is coming. He is going to make a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the multitudes spread their garments, chapter, uh, verse 8, on the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. And the multitudes going before him and those following after him. So there were people before, there were people behind, there were people laying stuff on the road for him. They are so excited. Christ coming, Christ coming brings both attention and adoration of those who were looking and, and believing that the king has come. And they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were praising God that he had sent his one. They had, he had sent the Messiah. And how humble was Christ. How humble was he that he came in on a donkey, even the colt or the foal. Not on a great white stallion, as would be his due and as will be when he returns again. But here, had he not just told the people just a, well, an, earlier for us, a couple chapters back, that he was humble, right? and gentle, 
and that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. And here he was demonstrating that very thing, humility and gentleness coming in. This is the first time that Jesus permitted his public recognition, public recognition and celebration of who he was as a Messiah. Do you remember when after some of his healings, he would tell them, tell no one. His time was not yet come. But here, this is going to be right before he's given up and he gives his life. Because Jesus must offer himself as Messiah, even if only to be rejected. And that is what he is doing. He comes to work salvation, just as they are crying, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Save us. They do it to honor the Messiah and honor God in sending him. As we will see, many of the Pharisees and the scribes, no honor. They were supposed to be waiting and looking, and here he was, and yet they were indignant at what was happening. It's a showing us of their heart. Theme throughout the whole three chapters, right? Their hearts. This example, maybe, of how they wanted their hearts to look, what they wanted to look like on the outside, beautiful and sparkly, lovely. But we see over and over that their hearts changed. They were darkened. Little by little, we'll see it more and more. Little by little. And so he comes in and the multitudes are just praising him. All took notice. It's just how they differently saw him and what, they, what that was, how they received him in their heart or they did not. But all took notice. Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Cleansing, it is written from the scriptures he called out and he tells them and he reminds them, this is what the temple is to be for. It is to be a house of prayer. It is to be a house of prayer, of connecting with God. They had abused it and, and perverted the intention of the temple. They were robbing God of his honor. And they were keeping the people from what, what it was really meant to be. From their greed, their greed, their longing for more. They lost sight and their hearts, their hearts are so darkened and darkening by the moment. 
and had been. And yet Christ cleans it all out. And then what happens? It's intended purpose then. Those that are blind and lame and need healing are now can come in, come into the place that it was meant for. And what did Jesus do? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The temple is now a place of healing as it should have been from the beginning, a healing of our hearts, of our spiritual condition with God, a place to be healed, to be reconciled with. And here is Christ now doing that very thing, doing that very thing. And verse 15 just always blows my mind, but here it is. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things, the wonderful things blind people are seeing, the lame are walking, people are being healed and rejoicing and praising God. Isn't that the whole point? to bring glory to God? And when they saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the King of David, save us, and he was. And they're praising God. The temple being used for what it's supposed to be. And they became indignant. They were upset. All these wonderful things are happening. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And they know that this is, they are giving you this glory. They are giving you this honor. And Jesus, yes, Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. In their indignation, they wouldn't see who he was. Christ again affirming his deity. Yes, he let them praise. He took it on because it was due him. He is the Messiah. King, God incarnate. He is the one that God the Father has sent. He is the one they have been waiting for. But they are indignant. They miss it. They miss it again. Or I just think, I don't know if they miss it or if they just suppress the truth and they will not believe it. They do not believe, want to believe it to be true. It would change their way of life forever. As for all of us who know Christ and receive him in, our life should be changed forever. But they were indignant 
There is Jesus Christ revealing his identity again. And here he is. We have the example of the fig tree showing his power of who he is, God, and also giving us example of just even coming there, of him seeing the temple and what it's supposed to be used for and how it, is not, how it was not being so. And he comes to the fig tree and it has leaves on it and it looks great, looks good. But there's nothing inside. There's no fruit. There should have been fruit for those who religious people who were reading God's word and knowing him. But there was no fruit. No fruit. Because their hearts were so full of their own pride. He found no fruit in Israel. It is a blessing to be fruitful. It is a blessing to be able to work and to serve our king. And he tells his disciples that Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. He's speaking to his disciples directly to them, giving them a lesson. They're learning so much here, the power of God. They're, le they're also just another example, like we said, about how Israel is without fruit. They, they look good on the outside, but he's finding nothing there, nothing of substance. Talking about prayer. Uh, the saying, you can move mountains, would be a saying in that day that was also looking at um, overcoming the difficulties of how in praying and in faith, how God will help you overcome the difficulties. But of course we know by seeing God's power, he could move mountains, right? Saying God can do the impossible. More than we can even think or imagine. This here is not a flippant ask. This is an asking in prayer. Our faith drives us to prayer. It drives us to the object of our faith. Where else could we go? Our faith drives us to prayer and our prayer deepens our faith. As we ask God, we are putting our, our faith in him, our trust that he will do, he will do it. And as we pray and come before him, how many times, ladies, has, has the Lord opened your mind to, while I'm praying, as an example, for Joshua's healing of his physical body because I see it broken before me. But there is more healing that needs to be done. And as I pray and ask God for what I see in front of me, part of me, I am trusting that but whatever you decide, because you see it all, 
you know that the need is greater or what the greater thing is that is in conjunction with his will. And as our faith grows, we, we realize that's what, that's what I really want. Lord, I want what it is that you want. I want your will to be done. That's our faith growing as we go to him in prayer. We focus on the object of our faith. So Jesus went to the temple again. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. The temple's been cleared out, right? He cleared it out and he did healing. And now he's back in the temple and what's he doing? It's a place of teaching. He's teaching the people. He's teaching the people the truth about who God is. He's teaching the people. They hadn't had that teaching. And Jesus is opening their eyes. The people are amazed. And the elders came to him as he was teaching. So they interrupt him. God's house, God's temple is also to be a place of instructing the people on how to love God. And here's Jesus and the Pharisees come and interrupt. And in their pride, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? They question him. Look at the wonderful miracles he had done. It, it blows my mind to think. But it's the darkness in their heart. They will not see. They will not see. And Jesus, they knew the truth, but they would not own it. We see it over and over again. They would not confess their knowledge of what they knew, what they could see, what they even heard from the scripture confirming. They had to wrestle it down. Their pride was so deep that instead, as Jesus asked them the question about whether the baptism of John was from heaven or from men, they knew in their hearts that it, it was from heaven. But then they knew that Christ would say, well, then why didn't you believe him? That I am the one. Why didn't you believe what he told you? And if they said it was of men, the crowd would be mad. They knew that wasn't true anyway. So instead, instead of confessing the truth, let it out. They had to deny it and they had to confess their ignorance. What a blow to their pride. They're supposed to know everything. Their pride was so deep, so deep, so deep, just darker and darker, their heart. I loved this quote that I read. Those that, those that imprison the truths they know are justly 
I'm sorry. Those that imprison the truth they know are justly denied further truth that they inquire after. Because what? They wanted to know something, right? Where he got that authority. And they squelched the truth. And he said, neither will I tell you these things. They're squelching the truth in their own souls for the sake of their pride. Oh, friends. We just need to look in the mirror, right? How will we respond to the proclamation of the king? Will our hearts suppress the truth because of what it might mean that we would have to give up? Our life would change. We would have to submit to a a greater authority. And we like to be in control. Let's keep our hearts soft toward the king. Let's welcome him with adoration and praise. It's a great lesson that we are learning here because Jesus goes on to expose their heart even more in the two parables of the sons and of the landowner. It is really a a picture of Israel's history. And I know we're referred back in our lessons, aren't we, to the Old Testament. And I just want to commend you for doing the hard work, because here's the thing. The, the, The Bible is one book. And we miss so much if we don't dig out what's going, what happened in the Old Testament and if we just stay in the New Testament because they are so intertwined. How many times have we seen? How many times have we heard just in these 21 chapters? This is done so that the scriptures may be fulfilled, so that this may be fulfilled what the prophet said. Well, if we don't know what the prophet said, that's not going to have any meaning or any substance for us. And I just want to encourage you. I know it's a lot of work. Keep going. Keep digging. God enlightens our eyes and our hearts as we get to see the truth, the whole truth, and how it fits together. And it deepens our faith. Your roots go so much deeper. And really, don't you think it's kind of exciting? When you look and you say, oh my gosh, how many years ago was this prophesied? And now here it is taking place, 500, 600 years before. Who does that? Who can do that? God. God does that. That was just a little aside. So let's get right back on track. This whole part is Israel's history. These two parables are showing us. And of the the sons here, right? The first son is disrespectful right to his father's face. No, I won't go. Rejecting his direction and his call right out. But then he repents. He repents and he goes to do the work of the father. 
He goes to be fruitful. The second son is all beauty, all respect on the outside, all shiny. Yes, sir, so respectful. I will do it. And then he doesn't go. first son is looking like the the publicans and the harlots and all the people who were outcast. And they are ready to accept the Messiah and his forgiveness and to turn whether their, their lives started out in a different place, but they repent. But the ones who knew the word and who were waiting supposedly for the Messiah Yes, Lord, they're saying all the right things. But they're not doing what the Father is asking. They're not being fruitful. They're not following his word. So we see the first response. But God waits to be gracious. He waits. He waits for those to repent, to come to him. That's his heart's desire is to redeem and to restore. But the Pharisees reject him. Here we see in the parable of the landowner, do you see that this is Israel here? As God has prepared, everything is in place, right? He, he planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a tower, rented out vine growers so that it was ready to be fruitful. It was everything was in place. And Israel, are they going to be the caretakers, the Pharisees, the scribes, to, to build the people up and who God is, teach them his ways, teach them to love him. God had everything in place. But they wanted to preserve their own wealth, their own grandeur, even as far as getting rid of the son. Even as far as getting rid of the son so that they could have all, the, all of his inheritance God has in, had intended for the church to be gone, um, gotten started and going the, the kingdom of heaven through the Jews. God will have his church on earth, but it's now through the Gentiles that it comes because the Jews reject. Someone said the Jews leaving what they left behind is the Gentiles' feast. All of this. He would get new vine growers who would, who would be fruitful for him. And here we are, showing again. They would reject even going as far as to kill the heir, the son of David, the Messiah, to keep 
their pride and their wealth. And as we go on, Jesus is talking to them and he gives them another parable. He just speaks in the parables. Don't you see when you, when you read, did you feel like you could see it coming and how those parables just cut to your heart? They just kind of blah, expose the truth right there and there's no way to escape it. And you're following along. And as Jesus here is talking about the wedding feast, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son because God is preparing a feast for his son Christ is often referred to as the groom the church is his bride it's here it's ready it's set in motion everything is in place but those that were invited Didn't care. Some just didn't care. They were just too busy to be concerned with it. Too busy to be concerned. Here it was, the wedding feast. In other words, like um, the gospel preparation had been made, the preparation to spread the gospel everywhere, the kingdom of heaven, Christ is the bridegroom, the church is his bride, all was prepared. The privileges for being in Christ were right there. The new covenant, the pardon for sin, peace, peace with God, all the promises, access to the throne, the comforts of the Holy Spirit, and the hope of eternal life with God already. The wedding feast, it's already. And so he says, it's, it's ready. My, the Messiah is here. Come on to his own, to Israel, to the Jews, to the Pharisees and the scribes. Every, come on, it's ready. And some, he sent, his, he sent his prophets again and again, didn't he? Again and again. And yet there was an indifference to that. Some responded with indifference. Some were just unconcerned about their souls. Some made light of it, had other things to do. And some were just outright rejecting. And they even killed the messengers. But God will have his church on earth. He will. And so it was opened up to everyone to come. Come. Just go by the highways and grab them and tell them to come on in. Because the ones that were invited were busy or unconcerned or outright rejecting. So the others came 
and rejoiced and got to enjoy the feast, except the one who didn't have the wedding clothes on. He looked like he belonged with the crowd, but God spotted him because God sees the heart. He's an example of a hypocrite of the church. Sometimes we can't see that, right? Sometimes people can't see how how we are being different than we should be, but God sees the heart and goes right to him. He does not escape the Lord's notice that he may be in the church or going there or maybe looking like it, but he is not of it. He He is not of it doesn't have the covering of the wedding garment, Jesus Christ. That's why when we look at, when we take into account all that were called, right? How many were called and invited? First, like all of Israel and the, and the Jews and, and then all the people on the highway, all that were called, And then those who didn't come because of uh, preferences or indifference or outright rejection, then we see that out of that huge pool, how the few are chosen. That few are chosen in that those are the ones that come to receive the invitation of the king and the blessing. What is Jesus exposing in your heart? What is he exposing in your heart, friend? Let's not take that lightly. Let's look closely to it. Because even though others may see something different, shiny, God sees our heart. He sees our heart, and he calls out, he calls out the Pharisees, and they are exposed. Even as they are trying to trip him up with traps and malice and tests, he tells them, render to God what is God's, their hearts and their souls. He corrects and he teaches. And his message is love God above all. That is the whole of the law and the prophets. The whole of the law and the prophets. If we don't know what the law and the prophets is, we're not gonna understand the magnitude of love God. That's what they're trying to say the whole time. Give yourself to God. Not the rituals, not the do this or do that. That's not what justifies us. It's Jesus Christ and giving our whole self to God. And as Jesus exposes the Pharisees for what they are, ah, what words does he call them over and over? Come on. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Over, like how many times did he use that? Kind of a lot. Hypocrites, fake, wearing a mask, not being what they say they are going to be. 
And he also called them many times in here blind guides, didn't he? Blind guides. They didn't see, but yet they're leading the people around, and yet they don't even know, or they're not even, they don't even know where they're going because they've missed it so much. They've missed the whole of the law and the prophets, which is to love God. And they are shutting the, the woes that he is talking, the first one, the very first one, the 13. Woe to you because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. because they're saying it's by a different way. They're so blind, they've missed the whole thing about loving God and welcoming his Messiah. They have no justice, no mercy, no faithfulness. The list is so long. Their outside is cleaned and it's shiny, and that's what the people see. But God sees their heart. Inside is robbery, self-indulgence, lawlessness, greed. And I could do hypocrisy, 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 right? Oh, ladies, but here's what we see at the end of this whole discourse. We see Jesus' Christ heart laid bare for Jerusalem. It's just laid bare, just right out there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. His heart is just breaking over them. These are his beloved people. Everything had been prepared. They'd been telling him how many times had he sent his prophets over and over to draw them to himself, to tell them of his great love. And yet, they would not. What does he say? I love this part of the verse. How often I wanted to gather you, your children. How often, over and over and over. His love is so deep and so beautiful. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Foreseeing their conquering that will be coming from the Romans in 70 AD, where they will destroy the city and burn the temple to the ground. There will not be one stone left on another. How sad his heart is broken for his people. All that, that, that their house should be filled up in, all the, the, the Messiah and all that he's bringing and the promise that should be filling up Israel. But they reject him, and so their house is desolate, laid bare. The rejection. Friends, let us not miss this. Let us not miss it. We don't want our lives and our hearts to be desolate and laid bare. Our hearts, black before the Lord with all of those things. There's only one hope, one hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. 
He longs to gather us to himself and make us clean before the Lord. Just clean our hearts with his, with his sacrifice for our sins. That is Jesus Christ. And he removes it. And he reconciles us with God. And we are healed before the Father of our sin. We are united with God. We are made one with him. Would you let Jesus gather you to himself? Let him, let him embrace you with his great love. Open your hearts to that. And praise God for the Messiah, the son of David. Amen.